This is Kenya Alonzo with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Elena Giacci, a national trainer on anti-domestic and sexual violence, oppression, and historical trauma. Welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you for inviting me. Now, Elena, will you please tell us more about yourself? Well, first off, I would say that I come from Tachitni and Toriachitni Bashashi, the Dene Nation. I have been doing work with sexual and domestic violence and historical trauma and oppression issues and racism issues. Well, realistically, all my life I've been um, working with community, working with friends, relatives who have been affected by that, but really doing training on these issues for uh, just coming up on 29 years of doing that kind of work. Right. Thank you. Could you tell us the story of how you became involved in social justice movements within the community? Well, you know, it started early on. Um, actually, my first round was uh, doing a sit-in for Kent State University, which was way back when. And I was in junior high and decided to see if we could do a sit-in for all of those lives lost at Kent State. And so um, once I did that and organized that and I saw the community come together over an issue, I was pretty well hooked. And um, during that period of time, there were all sorts of movements uh, for uh, women, for equality, for all of those issues, because this was like early 70s and going forward. And so I really became involved in those issues. But I came involved with the sexual violence issues because so many of my sisters, relatives, and friends had been affected by rape. And I remember sitting there with a number of my Uh, women friends talking about it, complaining about nobody's doing anything and realized I wasn't doing much to fight it, to put my voice out there. And so then really strategized on how I could make that happen. And instead of complaining and, you know, being outraged to really try to make some movement on that. Could you tell us about your training on historical trauma? I think it's an interesting one because I think when I started doing this work, there wasn't training for historical trauma. There wasn't information really even about historical trauma until we, you know, had like people like Maria uh, Braveheart who did work on those types of things. And so we all knew what it was, but we didn't know what to call it. And so uh, really taking a look at those types of things, we saw what it was happening and we knew it, but just having a name to that. And then just doing a lot of uh, good information on and listening, like I said, listening to the community, to what works, to the stories, to the unveiling of um, understanding what occurred in residential schools, um, listening to that, learning the big history lessons that uh, not only was in the books and the research, but what our storytellers were giving us as far as information goes. And I would say the most weight I put is maybe not so much in books, but in the stories that our elders tell us. Thank you. How does indigeneity inform your training and advocacy work? I think it's how I breathe. 
Um, there's a word in Lakota way that call, it says mihisani, which is like my skin, right? So it would be hard for me to separate my spirituality and who I am from my walk and my journey. So every single day, my breath is taken in that way. And when I do the trainings, I do it as a Native woman walking this journey, um, respectful of my elders and making sure that I walk in a balanced way because I know that I have the weight of when when I show pictures of residential schools or when I hear the stories or when people are generous enough in the elders and the sisters and the aunties and uncles who give me those stories. Those are sacred stories. That's Those are sacred gifts. And I need to walk in balance with that gift that they are giving to me because I know exactly how sacred it is. In some cases, it's where no one has told their story before. And that is so sacred that they give you that trust. And to me, if I walk as a good, balanced Native woman, then I am doing and serving my nation in a good way. What is the significance of Indigenous female leadership at this moment in time? Huge. Um, We, as a community, have been struggling in such a significant way with both historical trauma, racism, oppression, but for our women and our sisters and our children and our youth, we need to really try to unravel this rape and sexual assault that so many of our relatives are facing every single day and then multiple times. And so trying to think that if we gather our power together, because it's so easily to be divided, Um, especially when we look at just like our pueblos, our nations, our reserves, our villages, just in the fact that we oftentimes are isolated in that way. And even in urban areas, being isolated, it's really hard to gather our community um, for a single voice to try to do that. And we've done that very successfully when we really work at it. Um, When you look at Standing Rock and all the things that happened there, that was a matter of people gathering or the American Indian Movement when it did that. So there have been times that we really have done that. We do it within community, but we really need to try to stand together on all of these other issues where we've been very successful in doing it. We need to continue to do it. We need to yell a little louder to have people really listen Um, because oftentimes our cries for help, our um, outrage falls on deaf ears to outside community and we're angry and we need to do something about it. Alana, who inspires you? I think when you look at your, whether it be a Wilma man killer or my grandma, Uh, or my great-grandma, or my great-grandpa who would tell us the stories, I think we can find brilliance in our elders. We can find suffering in our elders who tell those stories, who are brave and courageous to tell their stories. Every auntie that I've ever met along my way, or a sister that I've met along my way, who shared their stories because 
that is so courageous. And I know sometimes when I meet women who have been raped, and even as a child, and they feel that they're not strong, it's quite the opposite. You look at the courage of just saying the words, or you look at the courage of after a tragedy and a trauma like that, that they wake up the next morning and still put one foot in front of the other is tremendously um, courageous. So I am inspired by the women of our community. I am inspired by the leaders and women of our community. And I am inspired by every survivor who has walked, you know, our Mother Earth, who lives every day helping, supporting, or being able to raise children even though they have been a survivor. Is there anything that you would tell your younger self? Oh, yeah. I learned a lot about my anger. I mean, as both a victim and a survivor walking that journey, I learned how angry I could be. When I see the oppression of my community, I get pretty angry. Um, When I still see it, I get angry. And when I see people and women and children and our grandmas and grandpas getting hurt, I get angry. And how I harness that anger is a lot different than I used to. I think I would bite at people and I would do that. And I think there is a time and a place where your rage is appropriate to be able to fight for a cause that you believe in. I think your rage is appropriate sometimes that keeps you going when you've been beaten down by the the best and the brightest and the most powerful, that your rage can can sue that heart a little bit to say, I'm doing the right thing. That being said, I learned how to walk in balance with my rage and anger and still be able to do a collaboration with people that I never thought I would collaborate with and how to be able to make steps forward with people that typically you don't necessarily always agree with. That's a tough one. I agree. Thank you. Um, Yeah, it's very important to take that anger and rage and instead of letting it cause destruction or harm to anyone, it's Mm -hmm. important to bring something really positive out of it. And so I really appreciate you really speaking to that. What advice do you have for young people today? To not be afraid of what other people are going to say about you. I think there were times that I would get worried about, well, are people going to say that I'm too angry, too upset, too involved, not involved enough? What happens if people get mad and don't invite me back? And now I would like, you know, don't worry about that. If you walk your path and you feel balanced in your path, that I think along with it, you're going to learn along the way. You're going to make a ton of mistakes. I have made a ton of mistakes. I continue to make a ton of mistakes. And I learn from each one of them. And that's the beauty of, of failing is learning from those those lessons. And not to be afraid to fail and not to be afraid. I don't think I listened well. And I don't think I listened to the elders as much as I think I should have. And I think 
you know, just getting a little bit of knowledge and listening and keeping my mouth shut sometimes because that was a really tough one for me. Um, it was to just find that balance. And, and yeah, I didn't know everything as I thought I did, and I still don't, but now I know I don't. Elena, what's the best advice that you've received? Probably walking in balance, and I really didn't know what that meant until I had an elder really say that I was not walking in balance. And like we were you know, talking about earlier, if you have that anger, but you're not attached to that also gentle side. So there has to be two sides of, of the story so that as you walk that journey, you can walk maybe on one side or the other, but basically when you look at the tools that you have saying, was that in balance? When I answer a question, when I make a presentation, when I might be impatient with someone, it's like, was that a balanced statement? And sometimes it's not. That's okay because sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean that everything has to be in balance all the time, but that as you get those baskets along that journey, that each side is well represented. And to really take a look at your every, it's easy looking at that toolbox that you have is like, is this a balanced thing that I'm doing? Or is this being done clearly on one side or the other? And if it is, then taking a look if that's the way it needs to be done to get a little bit more balance on that side is okay. But as you make that journey, over the whole time is to walk in that good way. How do you keep your spirits up when seeing so much affecting our community? That's a tough one. It really is, and it's a great question because I think that when I look at a lot of people who do this work, they do it for a short period of time because they burn themselves out. And it's tough. You know, you see someone right after they've been raped or beaten. You see someone who has never had the journey of healing, who is barely making a breath on this Mother Earth. You see the results of historical trauma on your an entire community and what's happening to them. And you get mad and you get angry like we were talking about. And I think that I have had to find that balance, that balance of the stories who have been told by elders of how they made it, how they survived, the beauty in the survival. Um, I remember sitting there with one of my grandmas on her porch and the sun was going down and she was talking about all of these lessons and how to learn them and how to learn them well. And realizing that that offsets the horrific things that I see, the stories that grandpa's. I remember a grandpa who told me his survival story of residential school. And then right in the middle of this presentation, he started singing a song. And he said he hadn't sung that in like 30 years. And those are the gifts that I get that make me find that balance to not give up. And then the other piece is trying to have a good balance outside of my work to be able to find joy. I raise butterflies, and man, that is something, because each time you set a butterfly free, you give it a prayer, and it goes up, and you just go, 
that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing is we're setting those butterflies free every single day. And that's sometimes the only thing I have to hold on to when things feel overwhelmingly difficult is the beauty of meeting new people, meeting young people, because boy, that that often carries me because I know they're the future. They're going to go out and release more butterflies into this world. Thank you. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I think just for community that is out there, especially with the sexual violence component and how often we see um, survivors out there that have not yet told their story. And I just want in that most loneliest time to let them know that they're not alone, that there are people out there that are wanting to listen, that there are people out there that hear their pain, and that there are people out there that don't blame them for what has occurred to them. And I think most of all, when we look at whether it be historical trauma or other components of sexual or intimate partner violence to let people know that, man, this is not of our making. This is not our fault. And that there are people who really genuinely care. Elena, thank you so much for taking the time to come here to speak with us. As a Navajo woman, as an indigenous woman, I'm on the front lines of these issues. I'm These are things that my family members, that my friends are experiencing directly. And I just really want to say thank you for your strength and taking the initiative in fighting these issues. And I just want to thank you for your honesty and for sharing your stories and just for sharing your life with us. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me here. This was Kenya Alonzo with Generation Justice.